How do you follow that? Great question. The Lord be with you. Uh, well, my name is Paul, and I am one of the co-lead pastors. My wife, uh, Pastor Britta, just brilliantly and beautifully followed uh, and led the children um, that dinosaurs are extinct and everything else in between, right, that we just hold that reality. And we're going to kind of continue uh, that theme of school. Uh, my wife and I, we have two kids. Uh, our Two of our kids were sitting up here. Our oldest is a, a young boy, uh, and he uh, attended school online last year in kindergarten. And so this was his first year attending school in person. So he's a first grader. And so it was the first time for us as parents to kind of get into the rhythm of like, what does it look like for us to have kids in school, right? And so like, how do you make lunches and how do you do all these things? And I'm not ashamed to admit that in the first few weeks of uh, them starting school, um, we were kind of getting into the habit of all these kind of things. And uh, we perhaps were not quite as ready and uh, equipped to be ready to go on time as uh, I would like or really as Pastor Bird would like so we could get there. Um, and so we found ourselves uh, kind of rushing out the door and rushing to get to the school relatively quickly. Now, one of the things that you'll uh, discover that those of you who have kids in school or had kids in school or are in school yourself, uh, that is pretty apparent, but we have learned first kind of hand uh, as parents who had kids new to a school in school, uh, was that um, there's this thing called a school zone, right? And on either side of uh, the school, uh, they encourage cars. In fact, they require cars to slow down, right? There's a speed limit that gets set there. Um, and as you're kind of learning the, the rhythms of dropping your kids off at school and making sure you have all the things together and all that kind of stuff, uh, some of us perhaps may not have recognized or observed this change in speed limit going in front of the school. <laughs> and so for the first month after our son started school, we had a relatively steady stream of letters arriving in the mail uh, that were letting us know that perhaps we need to be paying a little bit more attention to the school zone that existed right in front of our son's school. Uh, and so on these tickets that we received, uh, <clears throat> Uh, they, they have this thing, right? When you get a ticket, you have what's called a petition, right? So you can petition for, like, maybe I shouldn't, like, have to pay the amount of this ticket. But our school zone has this wonderful little thing I like to call a camera. And so uh, not only did we uh, probably single-handedly pay for repaving that entire street in that first few weeks of school, but we have a nice now photo album of a bunch of different uh, angles of our car's license plates, right, so that we can kind of fill up uh, these things, right? So uh, we were kind of getting ourselves. <laughs> Thankfully, we figured that out. We've now since we paid all the tickets, we didn't petition them. But isn't it interesting? Uh, when we get these tickets, right? One of the things we talk about, like with uh, when we break the law, right? Like the truth was undeniable. They had photographic evidence of us blasting through, not blasting through, <laughs> quickly going through. <clears throat> oh man, uh, confessional time, I guess. So. Uh, but they had these pho this photographic evidence of us crossing, like, breaking the law of the school zone. But we kind of have this inclination that when we receive these tickets, like, there's this inclination of how can I get out of this, right? When we want to make a petition, a lot of times when we think about petitioning something, it's how can I get out of something? How can I get myself there? The truth is set. There's no denying the truth. But how can I get out of this situation? And what I want to encourage us this morning is to think about this idea of petition, this idea of coming to an authority or making a request, not so much as getting out of something, but moving into something else, 
right? This isn't about how can I get myself out of this trouble that I've done, but rather in a petition, how can I instead move into something else, go in a different direction, or perhaps in my case, going in a slower direction in the same direction, right? But what, how can a petition, instead of getting us out of something, how can it be moving us into something, Uh, As Pastor Britta said, we're in this series called Hear Our Prayer, which is focusing on these prayers of Jesus. And we're looking at these prayers of Jesus and how they model for us how we can be a praying community. How we can be uh, learning from what Jesus does and how Jesus prays and then how that can inform how we pray and how we are a praying community. And last week, we almost kind of started this little sub-series because we're looking uh, at the longest prayer that Jesus prayed in John 17. And we're breaking it into kind of three different parts. Last week, Pastor Britta talked about this first part of the prayer of Jesus. And she talked about this kind of adoration and that we are adored. And from that adoration, it extends back to adoring God. And talked about the Trinity in this really beautiful way. If you haven't heard it, I encourage you to go back on YouTube or Facebook and listen to that sermon. It's an outstanding sermon. Uh, But today we kind of continue that uh, longest prayer, John 17, beginning in verse 9. And we're going to be looking at how Jesus prays. For his disciples. So how he petitions for his community, those closest to his, him, those most loved by Jesus. These are the petitions, these prayers that Jesus is praying for his disciples. Next week, we'll look at how Jesus prays not only for uh, the, all of the believers, but even kind of by extension, us, which is going to be a wonderful sermon. Again, Pastor Britta will preach that next week. But today we're going to be focusing on John 17, beginning in verse 9, how Jesus prays for his disciples. And I want us to have Uh, this kind of definition of petition in our minds. That petition is not about getting ourselves out of something. And there's a nuance here this morning too, right? Because we're not just praying about a petition that we come to, but actually how we petition on behalf of others. And so the nuance instead is for petition. Here's the working definition I want us to think about. In light of the truth, naming a preferred future, right? And this is not about getting out of something. So in light of the truth, We had broken the speed limit. The preferred future is we don't pay the ticket. It's not getting out of something, but it's instead moving in a different direction. In light of the truth, we were going too fast. The different direction is we'll slow down, right? So petition is in light of the truth, in light of the reality that exists, as well as in light of God's unending truth, the truest of truths, how are we naming a preferred future? And we're going to talk about kind of what that preferred future looks like. So uh, if you have a Bible, I encourage you to take that out. We'll be continuing in John 17. If you don't, there's a Bible in the kind of chairs or the pews in front of you that you can pull out. Uh, We're in the Gospel of John, which is the fourth Gospel in the New Testament. These stories that tell us about who Jesus is and how Jesus lived and how then we're encouraged to live by following Jesus. So John 17, beginning in verse 9. If you don't have a Bible or you'd prefer, you can also follow along on the screen. John 17, beginning in verse 9. I pray for them. Jesus is praying for his disciples. I am not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. All I have is yours, and all you have is mine, and glory has come to me through them. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, Protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by that name you gave me. None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction so that scripture would be fulfilled. Jesus is talking there about Judas, who we'll learn more about kind of as we 
enter in further, further to the Holy Week story. I'm coming to you now, but I say these things while I am still in the world so that they may have the full message of my joy within them. I have given them your word and the world has hated them, for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Uh, I have to admit, there is a whole lot of really deep theology packed into this prayer that Jesus prays for his disciples. There is a whole bunch of things that we could sit on, and today we're going to try to tackle some pretty deep theological ideas, but we're going to try to kind of get at them. We will never be able to do them full justice, but what we're going to try to do is kind of get at them from this angle, this perspective of Jesus praying this on behalf of his disciples. And Jesus is praying on behalf of his disciples not to get them out of something, but rather to invite them to move into something else. And so uh, I don't know if you heard it, but as uh, we were hearing these words of Jesus in this prayer that he prays for his disciples, there was a word that was repeated over and over and over and over again, and that word is the word world. Right? You hear this word world over and over and over again. They're, they're not of the world, that I'm not going to remain in the world, but they're in the world. The world hates them. World, 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 what in the world is going on? Thank you for asking. Uh, <clears throat> so the thing about this is when you first read this, it can become kind of easy to think like God perhaps doesn't really have the greatest view of the world. Right? Like as you see these things, it kind of sounds a little bit judgmental, but also like the world is like this other thing to be kind of set aside, as if God doesn't care for the world. But certainly, uh, this prayer is actually praying the exact opposite of that reality. And uh, one of the most, and this, that's also the idea that God doesn't care about the world or that the world is just all bad, uh, is incongruent with the rest of Scripture, right? The, the most popular, probably famous passage in all of Scripture, in all the Bible, John 3.16, for God so... God so loved the world, right? God has such deep care and the world matters so much to God that God so loved the world that he what? That he sent his one and only son, that Jesus, who is praying this prayer, would be sent into the world. So it's not that the world doesn't matter and it's not that God doesn't care deeply about the world for God so loved the world. And it is out of God's deep love that Jesus prays this prayer on behalf of the disciples. And so when Jesus says that the disciples and Jesus are not of this world, we're not from this world, this isn't uh, the first encounter we have of aliens, right? Of people who aren't from the world. They're, they're not human. What Jesus is saying is, how are they prioritizing their life? Because just because it says God so loved the world, it does not say because the world so loved God. Right? The priorities that God has are not often in line with the priorities that the world has. And so when, when, God, when Jesus is praying this prayer to his Father in heaven, what he's praying is that the disciples aren't of the world because their priorities have shifted. 
right? They have gotten close enough to Jesus that their priorities are no longer centered on what the world thinks is important, on self-glorification, on how can I get ahead, how can I get out of this trouble that I'm in. And instead, they have been moved into a different kind of approach. Their priorities have become kingdom priorities, priorities of God who would love the world even when the world would not love God back. And this is what Jesus is praying on behalf of his disciples. It's really, really clear at the end of this, uh, this prayer that he prays. Uh, beginning in verse 15, this is what Jesus prays. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. Right? Don't get them out of this trouble, but it's actually how are they protected? How are they being invited to move into something else? And then he says the same thing again. They're not of the world, even as I am not of it. Their priorities, they've gotten close enough to me that their priorities have shifted. This happens to us, right? When we get close enough to Jesus, our priorities shift. The closer we get to Jesus, the more our priorities start to look and feel more like the kingdom of God and less like the world or the ways in which we seek for our own benefit, but rather the benefit of others. And then, ooh, here we go, nice and deep. Then he says, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. That's a really heavy thing that we're going to get right back to in just a moment. And then he says again, here's this activity. As you sent me into the world, as God the Father has sent Jesus into the world, I have now sent them into the world. See, this isn't a escape. This isn't like, get me out of here. How can I get out of this trouble? It's actually how can I be, how Jesus is praying for his disciples, sanctify them, protect them as I'm sending them into the world. I'm moving them into something else. Now, uh, Jesus prays this word, this word sanctify. Sanctify is a really big word, right? Sanctify is a complicated thing. It's something I am constantly wrestling with and we will never be able to fully grapple with all that's being said here. But this word sanctify is often a word we think about uh, in terms of this other idea of holiness, right? That clears everything up, right? We're all good. Go and be holy. We're set. Also a very confusing word. Uh, the New Testament is written in a language called Greek, and the word that's used for when holiness is talked about, uh, even in, the, in Matthew when he prays, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, that word hallowed, is this word hagiozai. Hagiozai. Now, hagiozai carries with it this idea of holiness or sanctification, but what that really means, kind of underneath the surface, is it has this connotation of something being set apart, right? And you can even sometimes think about hagiazo, hagia, hagiozai, it's a really complicated word, hagiozai, holiness, as being separated from something. Now, here's the complication. When we think about separating something we often think about severing that thing and it no longer remains what it once was, right? It's as if it's character, it's identity, everything has changed. And there is some truth to that. When we separate something, a whole bunch of transformation happens. But the integrity of that thing remains that thing. As an example, take a uh, big cake, right? You cut out a piece of cake, the piece of cake is still cake, right? So just because something has been separated doesn't mean that it ceases to be what it once was. It's just been set aside. It's been set apart. It's been separated from the whole. 
Now, the, this word hagiozai has this connotation that when something is separated, when it's set apart, it's set apart on purpose, but also for purpose. So when something is set apart on purpose, it's also to do something else. So it's set apart, it's separated on purpose for a purpose. And that purpose in particular was central to the way the people of God understood how they were to live. So all throughout scripture, this idea of sanctification, of holiness, of hagiozai-ing, is really important to the people of God. And so in the Old Testament, the whole like last two-thirds, or the first two-thirds of the Bible, right, the Old Testament, a bunch of what this is about is this sanctification of what does it mean to be the people of God and to be set apart. And so there was this practice that the Old Testament, uh, that the people of God, the people of Jerusalem, would follow this sacrificial system. So there was this really intricate way in which people would offer these animal sacrifices on behalf of their sins to seek to be reconciled to God, right? And so uh, we talked about this kind of back in the fall in our series on Exodus, and we talked about the, the temple and that there was this space in the temple, the, the place where the people would worship, a place called the Holy of Holies. And it was this set-apart space where the presence of God was manifest in the center of the people of God. Do we kind of remember that a little bit in the book of Exodus? Some of us? Maybe not. Okay. The Holy of Holies is this set-apart space in this temple where the presence of God itself was. Now, uh, once a year, there was this day called the Day of Atonement. And the Day of Atonement was the specific day that they set apart, and they set apart one of their high leaders, this is called a high priest. They were set apart to go on behalf of the people of God to atone for their sins. The word atone means to cover, right? And so what would happen is this high priest, they would differentiate that day from every other day. They would be set apart or separated. And this individual in particular would be set apart, and they would uh, not wear what they typically would wear. They'd go through this sanctification process, this ritual cleansing. They'd put on different clothes. And they would enter in only one day a year, only on this day, into only this one person, into the holiest of holies, the hagiosiest of, of hagiosis, right? The holiest of holies, the most sacred space. And they would go there and offer a sacrifice. And they would offer a sacrifice to cover the sins of the people. Because they were seeking to repair a broken relationship between God and God's people. Sin is something that gets in the way of us and God, right? It's something that has separated us from God. And so what does the high priest do? The high priest is separated to repair and attend to the separation of the people. Do you see the distinction there? This is, I'm telling you, this is really deep and complicated stuff, but this is really, really important. A lot of times when we think about holiness, when we think about separation or sanctification or being set apart, we often get that confused with, uh, uh, oh, now the word is eluding me, holier than thou, right? That I am more important than everybody else around me. That's what we often associate with sanctification, that holiness is how do we as a community, we stand apart from everybody else and we're more important than everybody else. But actually what happens is this high priest is set apart to attend to the separation of all the people. 
right? Separated on purpose for a purpose, which is to repair the separation that existed between the people and God because of their sin, because of their own action that has kept them from God. And so they are seeking to reinstate the whole that was separated. This like blew my mind this week. I am the kind of person who wants to be good. I want to be holy. I want to be sanctified for Jesus. But so often, I approach this as my own personal holiness. How can I be better? How can I do better? How can I be right in the eyes of God? And you see, Jesus is praying an entirely different understanding of sanctification. Jesus is praying on behalf of his disciples in light of the truth, in light of the reality of God's kingdom, not the world's priorities, but God's priorities. I want the people, my disciples, to be sanctified, to be set apart, but not so that they can be on a pedestal and they can all of a sudden feel good and get out of the trouble they're in, though certainly as we're moving towards Jesus, Jesus is going to do those things in our life. Jesus is going to transform us. But as we are separated on purpose for a purpose, the purpose of our being set apart is to mend and repair the brokenness and the separation between people and God. Whoa! This completely changes how I engage with the world. This completely changes how I understand my own personal holiness. Because personal holiness does not exist for my own self-glorification or gratification. Holiness exists so that I may there go for into the world that is lost and needy and seek to repair the separation that exists between them and God, us and God. And this is the paradoxical thing about all of this. It says we are moving closer towards Jesus. Our life is transformed. And in the process of our transformed life, we are invited to transform the lives of those around us to also repair the separation that exists. Whoa! That is some heavy and powerful stuff. As if that isn't enough. Last deep dive, I promise. Jesus says, For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. You see, this is only possible through Jesus. Jesus is the one who does the holiness work for us because we can't do this on our own. The way that we are reconciled to God, the way that the brokenness and the separation that is healed and repaired is through Jesus who invites us to come close to him so that in turn we might invite others to come along with us into that repaired relationship. So often we think about sin as this, how can I get out of the trouble that I'm in? Right? How can I get out of this pattern? How can I feel like I finally belong in the kingdom of God? And Jesus says something entirely different. He says, come to me and I will do that work. And from that place, I will invite others along with you. In fact, I will set you apart to help break the separation that exists between people and me. And so when Jesus says, uh, I sanctify myself, uh, when Jesus prays this prayer, he's days away from his crucifixion. When Jesus prays this prayer, he knew it was coming. And so when Jesus prays this prayer, I sanctify myself so that they may be truly sanctified. Jesus is foreshadowing what will happen on Good Friday, a day in which Jesus is crucified on the cross. Now in Hebrews, I really encourage you at some point to go look through Hebrews. There's a beautiful picture 
of describing Jesus as our high priest. Remember we were talking about that going into the Holy of Holies and that they would be offering a sacrifice on behalf of the people to repair the broken relationship? Jesus goes to the cross and enters into the holiest of holy places in the presence of God, God's self, and offers not a sacrifice but himself for the repairing of the broken relationship and the separation between people and God. And what's so powerful, we'll get to this on Good Friday. When Jesus dies on the cross, there's this veil that exists between the rest of the temple and this holiest of holy places. And when Jesus dies on the cross, the veil rips in half. It's this absolute, utter invitation that everybody can come to God through Jesus. That Jesus has paid the sacrifice, that Jesus is the one who covers over all of us to invite us into reconciled relationship with God and with others. And it's apparent that this is exactly what Jesus is talking about because the heartbeat of Jesus' prayer is when he prays, Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. Pastor Berta will talk a lot more about that next week, that they may be one as we are one. This is a prayer for unity. This is a prayer for all of the people who have been separated to come back to God and to come back to God through Jesus. And so when Jesus prays for his disciples, when he prays this prayer, sanctify them by the truth, the truth of the matter is that the world's priorities are often not in line with God's priorities. And so Jesus prays on behalf of his disciples, sanctify them, set them apart, but not so they look better, but so that they can attend to the separation that exists. And the only way that they'll be able to do that is by coming closer to me, and I will be the one who will offer myself on their behalf to invite them into that space. This is incredibly complicated stuff. This is deep theology. But it's significant for us because it informs how we engage with the world. Right? We don't engage with the world to just be holier and better than and that we can become this little insular bubble and that we've, now we're great and God loves us. And so he prays for us and we're better than everybody else. Jesus prays for his disciples so that they would be set apart to repair broken relationship. And so when we participate in praying for others, this is the prayer that we're doing. When we petition in light of the truth, we're naming a preferred reality, and that reality is one that looks more like the kingdom of God and less like the world. And so when we pray for people around us, we ourselves are being transformed and invited into restored relationship, and in the process are inviting others into that restored and reconciled relationship. This is incredibly powerful. This is uh, community forming. This is world-altering, coming to Jesus and inviting others to come to Jesus in that same way to repair broken relationships. And so as we uh, conclude this morning, uh, you should have received, as you came in, a white card, a white tag. If you didn't, uh, go ahead and just raise your hand. Uh, There'll be a couple people around who are willing to come and bring you a white tag. Uh, And this is an opportunity for us to participate in this work of of petition, of praying for people. And as we're praying for people, we aren't praying to get them out of trouble, but we're actually praying that they might be moved into a more kingdom-minded living. 
that their perspective, that their whole life would be centered not around what the world values, but around what God values. And so I'm just going to describe briefly how this practice will work, and then I'll guide us through this practice together. Um, What we're going to do is, uh, this week again, we're praying for our community. So we're praying for those closest to us. Next week, we'll have more of the opportunity to pray for kind of the world at at large. And so what I'm going to invite you to do is be mindful and uh, really discerning with the Holy Spirit. Who might God be inviting you to pray for? Who in your life uh, is God inviting you to pray for? Perhaps it's a loved one. Perhaps it's a neighbor, a coworker, someone that's in your sphere of influence. Who is God inviting you to pray for? And what we're going to do is on one side of the card, there should be pens in the uh, pews in front of you. On one side of the card, you're going to write the name of that person. And then on the other side of the card, we're going to write this prayer of petition, a prayer that in light of the truth, in light of the truth, both of God's world, but also in light of their reality of their circumstances, what's the preferred future that you would name? What kind of way are they being invited to move into something that looks more like God and less like the world? And so as we pray these prayers, we will then, uh, at the close of uh, the closing song, as the closing song is happening, you'll be invited to kind of tie a knot in the string and to come and hang these prayers on the prayer wall over here with these hooks. Because this is something that kind of was like a, obviously this is true, like how on earth did John know that this is the prayer that Jesus prayed? Like how did he know what Jesus was praying? Because more than likely Jesus was praying this prayer aloud. And so there's something powerful about as a community, we come alongside our community and pray for our community. And so what we're going to encourage you to do is as you come forward, if it's something that feels a little bit more confidential, perhaps leave just their name out facing. And so as people come to the prayer wall, they can just pray for the name of that person. Or perhaps the prayer itself is the thing that feels important and the name is uh, obscured. And so as people come, they can pray for those specific prayers, not knowing necessarily who they're praying for, but... God certainly does. And so during the closing song, you'll be invited to come forward and to offer these prayers as a community. And then throughout the morning, throughout the week, as you're in the sanctuary, to come and to pray for some people, to pray for our community as this invitation that they're not getting out of something, but they're being moved into a relationship with God. Uh, A couple other kind of just quick notes is if you are online, you can do the same thing in the comment section. You can just write the name of a person in a prayer, and I or someone in the room will write that out on a card and hang it on the wall on your behalf. Uh, And also know that our kids are doing the same thing in kids' ministry. Uh, And so they're also praying for people in their life and how they might come to know God more fully. Um, And so we want to invite you now um, into this space of reflection, of discernment of what does it look like for us To not just be holier than thou, to not have more holiness, but rather to be set apart on purpose for a purpose of reconciling people to God. And so I want to invite you to close your eyes uh, and perhaps to hold out your hands as we uh, spend some time in silence. And as we spend uh, some of this time in stillness and silence here, God, we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would bring a loved one, a person who is uh, close to us, to mind right now. And God, we pray that you might even bring that image into our mind's eye. That perhaps you might even uh, bring the face of that person uh, that we could almost tangibly see them in with our eyes closed in our mind. 
So God, I pray that you would just continue to make that uh, apparent to us who it is you're calling us to pray for. As you continue to discern or perhaps as you uh, feel like you see or know who that person is, I just invite you to hold that person before God right now. To just hold them in your mind, uh, being attentive to God on their behalf. To hold their circumstances, their life, the, the joys or the, the pains and the sorrows and the grief. To hold everything about their life before God. You might not even know the full extent. You don't really. But to simply hold that person before Jesus now for a few moments. As you feel ready, on one side of your card, I invite you to take a, a pen and write down the name of that person. Who is it God has placed on your heart and held in your mind's eye to be uplifted in petition, to pray on their behalf? As you write that name, uh, continue to be in conversation and communion with God. And be thinking about um, what is the truth of their situation? What, what reality are they facing right now? And perhaps also what, what truth of God's kingdom is true? Perhaps the truth that would be helpful to hear is that they're a beloved child of God. The truth that God loves them more than they could ever know. The truth that they matter. And so I invite you to turn your card over. And on the top of the card, to write something that you're feeling led to name specifically about that truth. Either about the truth of their circumstance or the truth of God's kingdom. So write out that prayer of truth at the top of the card. They are beloved. They are loved. They are facing a decision. Write out that truth. And as you continue to be mindful of this person, as you're praying on behalf of this person, petitioning on their behalf, bringing them to God, I want to invite you to write out this prayer for a preferred future. A future that looks more like the kingdom of God, not prioritized by what we think is important, but by what God declares is important. Perhaps uh, for daily provision for them. Perhaps for healing. For a restoration of a relationship or some form of reconciliation. To pray for protection. To pray for the nearness of God's presence. What prayer are you being invited to pray on behalf of these in our community, our loved ones? God, it is a powerful thing to pray for our community, for our family, for our neighbors, for our coworkers. 
God, uh, we know that your Holy Spirit is at work in their life more than we could ever understand or comprehend and that you call us to be set apart, but not set apart so that we could be better, but that our life would be more in line with your priority and from that place that these people that we are praying for are invited into that same reconciled relationship. And so, God, now as we come and bring these names forward, hear our prayer. Hear how we attend and care for these people. And more importantly, God, how you are calling us to be your hands and your feet set apart to repair the separation. God, move among us. We pray this in your holy and powerful name.